Welcome to Banking on KC. I'm your host, Kelly Scanlon. Thank you for joining us. With us on this episode is David Cassiopo, the president and CEO at Influence, a digital and marketing automation agency. Welcome, Dave. Thank you. It's really good to be here. I can't wait to hear what you say. All of the digital platforms that are out there, they can be very confusing. They can overwhelm business owners, especially who have to know about it, but don't necessarily, they're not experts in it. So to get us started, get us all on the same page. What's a digital platform and what are the main buckets they fall into? Yeah, so that's a very broad question and can, and can be extremely broad, but let's sort of narrow it down to just kind of into my area of expertise, the marketing category. So in the marketing categories, you have analytics applications, which are going to help you uh, analyze results and take large sets of data and make sense out of them to help you make marketing decisions. Uh, you have CDPs or customer data platforms that are going to be sort of your, your source of truth. Where is all your data about your customers going to live? And then how are you going to use that data? You have marketing automation, which is the space we live in, which is to help you take that data, the information about your contacts and customers, and then leverage that to do marketing. It could be anywhere along the customer journey marketing. So it could be from gaining awareness to, to new customers to uh, serving your advocates better. So there's all kinds of categories within that. There's e-commerce platforms. Uh, there's there's just a, a large list. And, and, and one of the greatest resources for this is uh, Scott Brinker's uh, Chief Martech has a, has a massive, it started off as this little compilation of about, I don't know, 40 or 50 marketing type applications and they were all on a grid and it was this neat little thing and now if you look at the grid you'd have to blow it up to the size of a billboard to even tell what the logos are it's just it's enormous there are thousands of players in the space and in all kinds of different categories so it it can be a little overwhelming uh, for a business if they're not exactly sure what they're looking for in your experience because you've been at this for you know 20 25 years now. Are there certain industries or certain kinds of businesses that can benefit the most from digital and marketing automation? It sounds a little too broad of a statement, but pretty much any business can benefit, right? It it boils down to more about whether or not you have the human resources to leverage the platforms, right? It's about, do you have the staff and the time to dedicate to the software that you might use to help grow your business? And so just about any business is gonna benefit from email marketing. Just about any uh, business is gonna benefit from having a CRM to, to manage their customer data. It's more down to the point of who's gonna do the actual work. So email marketing, CRM, social media are gonna be the content, probably some of the biggest platforms within those categories are what you're gonna focus on. What are some of the challenges that you see businesses, particularly smaller businesses, what do you see them facing and how does your agency, Influence, help them with those? It's sort of back to resource allocation. So small companies, uh, people tend to wear lots of hats. Um, so when we uh, encounter businesses where a CEO is playing a marketing role or they've got their, you know, maybe an administrative person who also does their content, um, you're struggling right there, right? Is, and, and you fit somebody into a role that's not natural to them, most likely. Uh, they're not going to be great at it. And it's one of their many roles, right? And so that's the struggle. And so what you would look for at that point is, is there someone outside that could help augment that, right? What kind of an agency could come in and say, you know, I've got some people to do some of the work, but 
we don't know what work to focus on. And and these small businesses, they don't know. They're like, I, I've heard that email works, or I'll just go post stuff on Facebook and magically it's going to drive lots of sales. No, there's, you know, that's not right, right? This is not how that happens. Or they'll hear anecdotal stories and, you know, people go for these, uh, they hear that something, a video went viral and suddenly they want to create a video, a viral video. And that's just, that's not a thing. You don't create a viral video. You create video content. And if you create the right kind of content, it will go viral. But if that's your marketing strategy, you're in real trouble. Yeah. And it's not a one and done kind of situation either. You know, oh, no. I'm going to do something social media, I'm going to develop this and we put it out there and okay, I've done social media for the month or for whatever. That's right. Yeah. It needs to be consistent. It needs to be persistent, both things. And, and you have to have a plan. You should have a plan in advance. What are you, what are you talking about? Why are you talking about it? What's the purpose, right? And what do you hope to get back from it? And in most cases, you're for digital marketers, you're trying to get traffic online that will ultimately convert to customers. Yeah. So given all of that, how do you determine the right tools for your customers. You deal with lots of industries, lots of sizes of businesses, and you know, as you say, you have to figure out what their goals are, you know, your customers have different goals. So so how do you determine that? It's a matter of sitting down and understanding their overall business strategy first. What business are you in and what clients do you serve and then how do you get more of those clients? What do you hope to get from those clients and what do you hope that they do across their entire lifespan from when they were a stranger didn't know who you were to one they're one of your best advocates, that all needs to be taken into consideration. And of course, in that consideration, you also need to take into consideration a budget because there's a lot to do. And so the smaller the company, the smaller the budget, and you're going to have to start off with simpler applications that probably do less, hopefully cost a lot less, but can drive some results. And so that's what we look for is, is there any sort of uh, low-hanging fruit, anything obvious that we could say, let's start here, let's move the needle, let's get some revenue associated with your efforts. We've been throwing the word automation around quite a bit, and I want to make sure that our listeners understand what you talk about when you talk about automation. You hear about business automation, but when you talk about marketing automation, what's that imply? For most people, the heart of marketing automation is an email marketing strategy, right? So it's uh, if, I've, if I get your attention enough for you to raise your hand and say that you want to subscribe, you want to hear from an online retailer, I want to subscribe because I'm probably going to get some discounts and things like that. So what happens at that point? Well, you're automatically going to get an email back with a 10% discount as my bribe to you to subscribe to my email list, right? But then there's going to be a campaign that follows that. And so you could, at a very simple level, just send out an email once a week with a special offer to everybody in your in your entire database that would be okay that's a starter methodology that will produce some results you will get positive results from something as simple as that but what you would really like to do is have that strategy be far more sophisticated to say okay kelly signed up for my list and we gave her the initial 10 percent discount now let's see whether or not she's clicking on the email and whether she not she's made a purchase for that 10 percent. and if she hasn't let's automatically send a follow-up to remind her hey don't forget you've got this valuable coupon available to you and then once we track that you have made a purchase what now right so what we want you to do is come back with a bounce back offer so we're going to come back to you and say hey a week after your product delivers, how did it go? Give us a rating one to 10. What did that look like? Is it, was it, was it a great experience? Could it have been better? It's important to, to analyze the results of that, but also can we throw something in that will get Kelly to make her second purchase, right? Because we're, what we're striving for here is a repeat customer and, and a high level of lifetime value. We want you to keep coming back. And so automation can do these things behind the scene. It starts with a human, right? It starts with, with all of us saying, what is my strategy and how am I, how 
should I communicate with Kelly to get her to keep coming back for more and to make her fall in love with my brand? And I think we've all experienced everything that you just said. And and there can be some kind of creepy aspects to it, too. Like uh, maybe 48 hours or 24 hours after I've put something in a cart but haven't made the purchase, I'll get an email saying, oh, there's still something in your cart. Did you forget that? And, uh, you know, just things like that or, or the, the green dress that follows you around after you've clicked on a green dress. <laughs> Every website that you open, then there's the green dress. It's really the automation uh, is amazing, really. It is. And I think early on, more folks were sort of creeped out by the whole thing. You know, Amazon was really early into this, yes. right? The, the abandoned shopping carts and stuff. But it's common practice right. now. We're, we're sort of used to it. Um, if you're a marketer, you just, you know, it works really well, right? Yeah. Is that you were thinking about that green dress, that green dress is following you around. And if you run these kinds of targeted automated campaigns, they do convert um, and you're going to get more sales from it. So for business owners who are new to this kind of automation, what's some advice or some insights that you can give to them to make sure that it's successful? Yeah, so I I think that the first part is to step into it um, in small increments, right? Uh, One of the most common mistakes we'll see is, is people just never starting. I mean, they'll, they'll invest in software and they will be uh, so fixated on the idea that they must have the complete 100% strategy end to end buttoned up before they ever hit the go button that they're wasting months and months of time where they could have been learning. Could they have launched and maybe it wouldn't have been the best campaign it could ever be, but it could be successful. And it would be real feedback as opposed to feedback that you're guessing right. at. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to wait nine, 12 months to, to determine whether or not this perfect campaign launches and succeeds. Whereas a month in, you could have launched something simple and see results and make adjustments to your overall strategy based on that. So getting people to start early, I think, is pretty important. Mm-hmm. And then just and just keeping at it and, and being patient. That's for marketing in general. So many people think they put something out and, you know, the next hour they're going to have people banging on their door. But you're in it for the long haul. It does take time, and it, it's something that you, you don't set and forget, right? And I think that's kind of a, a misconception about it is that you can. You can set it and forget it, but you're not really doing justice to the power of the applications that you have available to you in that you set it, you let it run, and you monitor it, and then you constantly test it. You challenge it. You say, well, that's good, but could it be better? Put a challenger test campaign in place to say, is this campaign a little bit better than that campaign? and monitor that. And if it is, great, launch that campaign, keep that campaign running, and introduce a new challenger. And it's a never-ending story. Yes, exactly. Well, and talk about never-ending stories. The field just keeps evolving. How do you, as a, a provider of these services, how do you stay on the forefront of the advances? And more importantly, how do you determine the timing to offer some of these things to your clients. Uh, as you mentioned, Amazon was on the forefront of some of this automation and, and sometimes creeped people out. And so sometimes it's too soon to introduce things. So how do you stay on top of it? How do you determine when to introduce it to your clients? Yeah, so uh, we, we have a pretty significant advantage when it comes to that as, as a software provider, right? So we sort of provide a marketing automation platform, but we are a digital agency. And it's a big piece of our business. So there are we have clients that don't even use our software. In fact, they might use another piece of software that's inferior. Mm, but, of course, <laughs> yeah, they they come to us with what they have, and we're not gonna we're not forcing anyone to change to our tech stacks. Tech, there are other good tech stacks out there, but we have the advantage of running advertising campaigns, marketing campaigns on behalf of lots of clients. So we get real world experience. Right, we're doing this every day for people, and so that helps us guide the development of our product. So that's a big piece of it. Uh, 
us wanting to do things that technology currently doesn't do, um, we can invent the technology or add the technology to what we have to our current tech stack and say, hey, it, it now needs to do this because it will make our jobs better. We can deploy more effective campaigns. So that, that real world experience of working for actual clients, being the strategist, being the producers for that is a really big advantage for us. On top of that, we, we spend a lot of time listening to customers, right? Or talking, having conversations with them face to face if we can to say, how's it going and what do you like what do you not like and what can we build for you right and we'll very directly answer ask that question and sometimes it's something that doesn't make sense right and we'll have that conversation that that belongs in a different tech stack but a lot of times they have very specific needs some of them are just super simple to build right oh that would be helpful to you we'll analyze and say that would be helpful to everybody we can build that and sometimes it's a pretty big complex piece so adding a major set of functionality to an application is not something we take lightly we would go and we would plan we would make sure there's real use case for it mm-hmm. absolutely so in in um, many respects your team and influence is driving this change uh, you're just not sitting back and adopting things you're driving it and this is something that I, I thought was very interesting I'm going to take it back uh, I don't remember exactly how many years ago but I think it's been about 20 years ago you had a full service marketing agency with a couple of other partners and you sold that but you carved out the digital portion and, and it was just getting started at that time how did you make that determination to carve that out from that sale and turn it into what would become influence? What were the indicators that told you, this is the future, I need to hang on to this? Yeah, uh, to me, honestly, the number one driver for it was I was having a lot of fun with the digital piece. <laughs> so, um, and, and that was really my piece of the puzzle when it came to the to our traditional agency work was I was the digital guy driving that. Now, the other guys were doing some of the work as well, but I was the main driver behind it, and it was just fun. And it still is fun. I have my, this is a really fun job that I have, This the ability to create this stuff and have, have clients use it and be happy. So that was the main driver for me. And then when it came down to the actual transaction itself, the, the buyer um, was most interested in not our digital. So everything but the digital, essentially. Yeah, and at the time, th- there was a very specific need. They had they had a growth spurt. That growth spurt didn't require digital. It required creative resources. It required account management. It required almost everything but digital in a significant way. And so uh, at the time of the transaction, here I am super passionate about this, knowing that they don't really, it's not really their jam. They're not really excited about it, um, as excited as I am about it. And so I was fortunate enough to have a mentor at the time through the Hellsberg Mentoring Program, which I know you're very familiar with. Um, and I sat down with him and he happened to be a mergers and acquisitions guy. And and, and uh, I said, you know, here's my situation. And he said, well, maybe we can just see if you can keep the digital. And I was like, huh? What, is That's that a, possible is that in a, a thing? sale? Can yeah. we do this? He goes, you can always ask. Uh, so it was conversation with my business partners first and said, hey, I'd like to do this. And, and they looked at it and they said, well, as long as it doesn't kill the deal, we're, we're on board. And so we went to the buyer, said the same thing to them, and they said, yeah, that's fine. That'll be fine. I was like, wow. Yeah. Did that just happen? The rest is history. Here here we are talking about influence about 20 years or so later. 2023. uh, Some people might call it the year of AI. I know it's been around, but it it just exploded uh, in 2023, and especially in the popular media. There's so many opinions about it. What's your take on it? How's it already shaping business, and uh, how do you think it's going to continue to do so? So we're fans, 
We're, we're fans of AI. Um, it's imperfect for sure. Um, it's it's not taking over jobs at, at mass pace when it comes to, to marketing. It's helping people. It's helping people do their jobs. Um, and so we've, we've integrated into our tech stack. And so as you create campaigns, create emails or landing pages, you have access to AI to help you compose your content. And so when we used to go out and, and demo our software, we'd say, look, the, the hardest part of your job is strategy and content. Right. Our our software makes tactical execution very easy. Right. It's it's easy to deploy campaigns. You got to go get your content. You got to have your great strategy. Now our messaging is different. You still are responsible for strategy. You have to have great strategy. You already have a great tech stack to help you deploy the campaigns. But now the content piece, which used to be one of the biggest bottlenecks, has become much easier. And so so we look at, at AI for content development, generative content as a boost. Right. It's going to get you. 70, 80% of the way there, right? Whether it's, I can't start, I I, I've got a blank canvas in front of me, yeah. I don't know where to start. Right. Getting over that initial writer's yeah, block. Yeah, give me yeah. some ideas, give me an outline to start with. And it's not gonna be a perfect outline, right? It's, it's not perfect. So you're gonna have something to start with to get you going. It's gonna go out and it's gonna do a whole bunch of research for you, right? Mm-hmm. And it's gonna compile it into, you know, you can be as specific as help me write a, you know, 400 word email marketing campaign around the idea of X, Y, Z, um, give me, you know, five main talking points. You can be as specific with your prompt as you want, and it's going to come back with something that's 70 to 80% okay. Absolutely do not copy and paste and deploy that campaign, right? <laughs> right. It, it, this, is, this is where I think that, you know, the, the people that are most excited about it that are trying to take shortcuts are going to fall short. They're going to do that, and you're going to end up with content that can be flat out inaccurate, mm-hmm. right? AI can. And we've heard those stories. Yeah. Or worse, that it's racist or, yes, or you absolutely. know, just all kinds of bad things. Yeah, bad things can happen. Good things can happen also. So it still requires humans. And for most creative folks, doing the research is not the most fun part of it. Right. It's assembling the information and putting it into a new format. Right. Bringing some bringing some extra life to it and establishing your brand voice around. This I stuff. was going to say the voice. Yeah. yeah. Being able to um, create that brand voice and make it distinct from your competitors yep. and and so forth is so important. What are some of the other ways that AI is going to shape the future? Uh, you talked about content, but are there other ways that we're going to see it at work? Yeah, so it's it's already at work behind the scenes that this is not as visible, but it's analyzing data, right? Mm-hmm. It's helping you quickly look at large sets of data and uh, make judgments on campaigns are, are not only most effective, but could they be retargeted for other audiences? There's just the more data you feed it, the better information you get back. Of course, there's some caveats with that, right? You have to make sure that you're feeding the right data to the right platforms. You don't want it to be public data, right? No. You need to, you need to make sure that your data stays your data. You just want something to analyze it for you and pull out some insights for you. And even at that, we're not perfect, right? It is able to do work very, very quickly, but there's still humans that need to be involved here to say, okay, I, I see that it's coming back with these recommendations. Is, does that seem right? And let me go Let me go cross-reference that. Let me mm-hmm. check that. Mm-hmm. You talk about the data, and another big topic is data privacy. It's becoming increasingly important. You know, fraud is rampant. So how does your agency navigate that balance between doing personalized marketing and respecting user privacy? It boils down to permission, right? Mm-hmm. You, you have got to get hand raisers from your prospects, from your clients, your customers to say, I've given you my email address. You didn't go harvest it, right? I'm asking you to market to me. I sign up for email newsletters because I want discounts on things, Yes, right? That's, that's <laughs> and, it. Yeah. And, and yeah. me, even though I'm in the business, 
mostly I will ignore those messages until I need them. So I get, you know, two two messages a day from some giant e-commerce companies. It's ridiculous, right? I don't need those most of the time. And so they filter into a promotions tab. And when I'm getting ready to go to that retailer, I go look for the most recent email. Exactly. And I take advantage of the offer. Is there anything else you can say about data privacy? We are certainly responsible for protecting data, right? We, we hold a lot of data and we're responsible for protecting that. We work with a third party to help keep us sharp. Right. And so okay. so that organization is, is responsible for taking our practices and things and analyzing them to make sure we're doing the best job we possibly can. So it is super important. When you talk more about privacy and things like that, I think for marketers, some of the most important emerging stuff is regulation. Right. So the EU has got some very strict rules. You know, the U.S. has some very basic rules, but they're getting more strict. One of the challenging things is getting more strict state by state with California leading with some, hey, yes. if you're marketing to people in California, which you may not even know, right? Mm-hmm. If all I have is your email address, that doesn't mean you're in California or not in California. Exactly. So it becomes an increasingly complex landscape for marketers to try and navigate. And so you, you're kind of looking for, well, what are, what are some of the most extreme things that I might be held accountable for and, and play by those maybe most strict rules? And then uh, you'll probably be fine for the rest of the rules. When I hit a website that's uh, from outside the United States, especially, as you say, in Europe, you you do, you see all these extra things that come up. It's annoying to me when the little box comes up and tells you to reject or to accept certain things. And it's like, oh, I just wanted my information or whatever. But, but you know, they're, they're trying to protect you and protect themselves. I think one of the most challenging things about that for, again, for the marketer themselves is that in the EU, there's the right to be forgotten. So, so I can tell you, delete all the information about me, which can create some pretty dramatic challenges. As simple as it seems, it's not delete Kelly's email address, right? It's delete Kelly's email address and all the information that might be associated with her uh, along the line. So it could be historical sales data. It could be all kinds of things that I might be responsible for deleting. And then is that data only in one place? Right? Is it only in your commerce system? Is it only in your marketing application? Or did you transfer copies of that data over to your CRM? Mm-hmm. Right? So it can be a challenging mess to untangle some of that stuff. Yeah. Do you see the U.S. trending in that direction? Uh, I think eventually it's going to get more strict. We're, we're uh, slow so far, but things are leaning in favor of consumers. Yeah. And, I, and I think that's probably the right way to go. Where does influence go from here, Dave? Uh, we'll continue to build on the tech stack. We are, we are having just a ton of fun with it. We've got you know an incredible client base, and so we're going to continue to build it out. But we're focusing right now on first-party data, right? So because you have opted in, I need to do the best job I can of taking care of that little piece of gold, which is your you know your email address probably, but it, so it could be some other data point about you. How can I best leverage that? to create a great relationship between you and I, the customer and the marketer. And so first-party data is really where we're focused on the digital side, on the software side, but also on our tactics for our customers. The the two most important things right now for a a company are your brand and your first-party data. Well, Dave, certainly lots of insights here, uh, lots of helpful information. Thank you so much for being on our show today and best of luck to you and Influence and eager to see where it goes. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate being here. Thank you so much. This is Joe Close, president of Country Club Bank. Thank you to David Cassioppo for being our guest on this episode of Banking on KC. 
It's apparent that influence isn't just riding the wave of digital and marketing automation trends. The agency itself is a trendsetter and future shaper. David and his team are steering change, not just adapting to it. In a world where trends become benchmarks, influence blends vision with technology to define what comes next. Kansas City's history is rich with stories of innovation, like the Kansas City-based creators of Teflon pans, automatic telephone switcher systems, automatic fire alarms, and multiplex theaters. Dave and current Kansas City entrepreneurs are actively shaping our future across industries like bioscience, stadium architecture, healthcare, and others. We can't all transform industries, but we can shape the immediate worlds we live in by staying inspired in all that we do and by living with purpose. Thanks for tuning in this week. We're banking on you, Kansas City. Country Club Bank, member FDIC.